So let's get real, real quick. Um, Today has been an interesting day as I have already received about 15 text messages and two phone calls from my brother um, asking if I have drank my coffee today, what am I doing for the weekend. Um, He is very intrigued. He just wants to know the answer. Um, Not that he wants to do this with me. So those are new listening. Um, My brother does have a disability. He's older than I am. And um, yeah, he constantly wants to FaceTime, call me, verify what I'm doing um, just to chat. He doesn't have the concept. He understands I'm at work. But that does not phase him. Um, his his priority um, and my priorities are a little bit different, and it's very important that he understands or he knows what I've had for lunch. Every his life revolves around food and and PlayStation, and he is um, very wrapped up in the idea of what I've had to eat. And if I'm going to dinner this weekend, then he should get an invite. Um, so a, a little bit of life or a piece of me as a sibling, and, and I share that with you today as I'm super excited to go into um, the next episode with two guests who are also siblings to actually brothers with disabilities. And so, um, you know, to share that insight, I think that that's not something um, you'll hear us talk about. That's not something Um, that I had growing up of connecting with other siblings. I kind of thought that I was alone in the world of the life with Nick. And um, yeah, so it's been really fun as an adult in the last several, several years um, of, of connecting with other siblings and realizing how similar our stories are, but how vastly different also our stories and our insights and our, um, our relationships with our families and or our brothers. And so I wanted to bring an episode that um, those that are listening, if you're a parent and or a sibling or or just a community member of um, the impact that siblings play and the the role that they play with their um, siblings with disabilities and how there are some struggles, but how much fun that can happen as well. And, And we tend to highlight more so of the abilities and and paint this greatest picture because we want people to accept them for who they are like we do um so it's we don't talk about those um strong hard feelings and so i think this is a season of life that we can as an adult um that we have around the table today for this episode can reflect and inspire and give insight and um you know just share a little bit about our story and our journey to this moment so get ready um if you're listening and um you're grabbing hold of that coffee now's the time to sit back and get ready for a fun episode with um a roundtable discussion with siblings that have um, individuals or have brothers with um, disabilities. So kick back. Hey, we are with Pieces of Me. My name is Amanda Owen, and if you're listening, um, hopefully you have tuned in and subscribed already for to Anchor.fm um, to follow Pieces of Me podcast. You can also do that on all the uh, major platforms of Spotify, iTunes. Um, so please make sure that if you haven't, you're going to want to subscribe after today's episode because we have a roundtable discussion with other siblings that have um, disabilities. Their brothers have disabilities. 
series. And we're just going to talk about the um, the journey. Today is about talking about that journey. And um, there's going to be other following. This is season one. And I'm very fortunate to have um, two guests that are going to be reappearing in other episodes, as this is not a conversation that usually um, people talk. Um, and so this is hopefully will inspire on and relate to and connect with and um, just give a cool insight of three different siblings um, living three different lives and our journey and our season within that. So today I have Blair Lynn Neighbors. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I have Chris. Um, Chris, you might need to specify your last name for me. It's Allison. Allison. Mm-hmm. Chris Allison. And actually, Chris is from Dayton, Ohio. Columbus. Right? Columbus, Ohio. And um, Blair actually is from Wandsboro, Kentucky with me. And if I did my homework a little bit more and I looked down on my notes, I would have been able to call that out better, Chris. It's but, okay. you know, um, we appreciate you being here with us. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just recently met Chris um, as we shared some our careers kind of crossed and we'll talk about that but our careers kind of crossed and then that instant connection as we both have brothers with disabilities and just sharing how that navigated so um yeah today we've already kind of prefaced it that the nuggets that people are going to take away is just sharing our journey now as adults and the season of life that we're in because all of our brothers are adults and kind of looking back and how even our careers have developed around um the life of growing up with a, a sibling with a disability so um Let's start with Blair. Blair, kind of share a little bit about your journey, not necessarily your journey, but like where you're at now. What do you do and how old your brother and what is his disability? Okay. So like Amanda said, my name is Blair Lynn Neighbors. I am 27 years old and I live in Owensboro, Kentucky. Currently, I'm the director of the Owen Autism Center that will be launching soon. We're super excited about that. Um, Previously, I was a special education teacher in an autism unit. And then um, Amanda talked me back into coming back in and working for puzzle pieces again. Mm -hmm. And I'm super happy and super excited to be here. So it's been an awesome journey. Um, The person that influenced my whole career was my brother, Blake. Blake is 29 years old and he is a twin and he has quadriplegic cerebral palsy perfect so chris tell us a little bit about what you do and a little bit about your brother yes ma'am chris allison uh from columbus ohio not dayton Columbus. Sorry. <coughs> are they even close 45 minutes to the west is oh, okay. Yes, ma'am. okay so, and i am the founder and ceo of open arms health systems and uh, started that whenever I was the ripe age of 21. It was a very wow. bad idea um, upon reflection to go back and start a business at 21 with no acumen or relationships of people in that field. So, um, But the reason I did is because of my brother. Um, his name is Christian. He is 29. And he has a dual diagnosis of autism and bipolar disorder. And uh, everything I do every single day revolves around him and uh, trying to build a better world for him and those in the community like him. Pretty amazing. So that's something that we immediately bonded over because like too, I mean, I didn't start a for-profit, but I did start a nonprofit organization um, called Puzzle Pieces for for my brother, although he just started attending. You haven't heard that yet, mm, but I he just not. started attending. Um, and uh, 
you know, for people like my brother as well and their families. And so that was the instant I was like, oh my gosh, you're just like me. Hmm. Um, I know you're probably scared of that now that you got <laughs> to know me a little bit. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So you were 21. Um, not that you have to give away your age, but how long have you ran that business at this point? Oh, yes. It'll be um, nine years on March the 10th. Nine years. Yes, ma'am. Wow. Anniversary so, coming up. It is. So that means I'm 30, just so yes. you don't have to make people <laughs> do math. math. <laughs> um, so let's, okay, I want to, I have a question in reference to you and then I'm going to come back to you. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about how our careers aligned for our brothers. Was it because, um, you know, I saw a need that was not being met, not that there was already people out there doing what I was doing. It was just I saw an unmet need and I wanted more for him and my family and I wanted more for people like him. So I kind of targeted the need and went after that to develop the nonprofit. Share that experience. Is it an unmet need or was it something very particular you needed to hit on when you developed yours? Um, to be honest, uh, I wasn't very versed in the field of development of disabilities. Christian wasn't diagnosed until he was 14, and I went off to college a year and a half after that. And so um, the diagnosis versus the getting the waiver versus understanding the resources that were available was very foreign to me whenever I left. Um, and so whenever I came back, I saw the state that he was in as far as his resources, as far as where he was housed. Um, my mom uh, was single parent wasn't able to take care of him. Uh, Christian had a really hard time transitioning through puberty. Um, and there was a lot of behaviors that came around that and she was unable to be able to attend to him and to be able to care for him. And so, uh, he actually became a ward of the state and, um, he was put into a group home with other individuals and, you know, throughout that process, I'm in college, try, I was going to a Bible college at the time, trying to go through that, trying to work 60 hours a week, you know, pay for my schooling. So I, I really didn't have a grasp of what was going on until I moved back and um, pulled up to the house of where he was. And from the things I saw, I, I said he's never going back. And so um, I took him out. I don't know if that was illegal, but I did. <laughs> um, but I took him out of the home and um, I just started taking care of him. And he lived with me for the next five months, about four months into that, found out that I could actually become an independent provider and get paid for taking care of him. I just I took care of him 24-7 for those four months, used up my savings, found out I could be an independent provider, and began that process. And the thing that began Open Arms and began us working with individuals with disabilities was if I was willing to change my whole course of life, because that was not my goal to start a business inside of this area, if I was willing to do that for him, how many other people don't have that type of person to do that? And so it wasn't so much as fixing a need, it was just making sure that he had somebody and then it's grown into this bigger thing now. I mean, when you say bigger thing, it's a huge thing. It is. It is. (laughs) It it is. You should be very proud. And I know that a lot of families um, have probably valued and learned a lot from you just paving the way and figuring it out and being able to share that story. Right. Absolutely. It's it's I don't like talking about it because I don't like putting a light on me because it's not about me. It's about them. It's about doing things for them. Um, But sometimes you do have to converse and to talk about it like this podcast, for example, for other people to understand that it is possible. Uh, Number two, that there are people out there like that that um, are willing to do that and that should do that. And they just maybe need that nudge to be able to do so. 
perfect. And it's all, I mean, just awesome. So, um, going on the flip side, Blair, I think that, so all three of us share something in common in that we followed our passion based on our brother. Um, we knew at a very young age, you had not, that wasn't your experience. Um, that's something that came to you and not, I wouldn't say fall in your lap, but was an eye-opening experience, whereas we knew at a very young age we wanted to be special education teachers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I knew, I would say probably at the age of six, that I was going to either be, I remember I was either going to be a physical therapist or a special education teacher. And I went, and in sixth grade, you could job shadow someone. And I went and job shadowed my brother's elementary special education teacher. And I knew right then I'm going to be a special education teacher. And I mean, never questioned it. Like after that, went to college, got my special education degree and went on from there. Um, How much of what you do, like, I think that we all can relate and both of y'all can chime into this. What I learned very quickly, especially my first year of teaching as a special education teacher, wow, not everybody's like my brother. And... I have to look at things, although I'm, I feel like I'm trained in, in, in understanding. I wasn't trained, like what my experience was like living with my brother was vastly different than being thrown into a classroom and realizing not everybody has this family dynamics that we had and or has other siblings that shared the same passion that I shared or it was just it was just different I didn't realize you know my brother had some behavioral concerns um, a little bit but not to the magnitude of some of the things I was experiencing and vice versa my brother didn't have physical limitations so it's just like an eye-opening experience that I never imagined so kind of share I want to first hear from you and then and then Chris of now being around others um being followed by your passion for your brother, I kind of counsel those to to young new teachers that they're a sibling and they're going into this. I'm like, okay, just remember, not everybody's like your brother. So how did you kind of experience that? Well, you know, Blake was definitely um, a unique situation as far as because of his physical disability. Um, And in Hancock County, which was where I'm originally from, there was nobody else like him except one other little girl, and she was younger than him at that time. So he was really the unique one of that classroom, but then he was in a multiple disabilities special education classroom. So I got to see other disabilities in that classroom. But then what really was an eye-opener for me and where I got exposed to more disabilities and really got exposed to my passion of autism was whenever I started working at Puzzle Pieces in college. I worked there, and then the Kelly Autism Program and Wendell Foster and I was able to gain so much more exposure to all sorts of disabilities and that really helped me in my profession because you're not going to have all students like your sibling Um, you know so I got more awareness about behaviors um, because Blake my brother really didn't have you know intense behavioral concerns or anything like that Um, and I got to see how autism really worked because I hadn't been exposed to that as much I mean he had some um, classmates but it wasn't anything like I worked with at Puzzle Pieces so that was huge for me. And just for those that are listening, Puzzle Pieces is the nonprofit organization yes. <laughs> um, that I do, that we created, and I'm lucky to have Blair alongside that. And now we've just recruited another sibling. Um, but there's a lot of powerhouse of siblings that are giving back to the passion and the profession. So kind of explain, because, man, you're so unique in so many different ways of your experience. So 
when you opened open when you opened open arms yes, ma'am. oh that's the name um, yes, yes open like arms that. open arms mm-hmm. um when you when you did that i know that wholeheartedly your passion was because of your brother mm-hmm. what did you learn through that process about other individuals with disabilities that you're like man i didn't i didn't think about this dynamic or or what that share that experience absolutely so so growing up i was extremely involved in church and around uh, we had a program at uh, the church called gems and jewels and so it was a whole program dedicated to individuals with disabilities and you know vast vast disabilities so it spent a lot of time just being around them um and and being able to get to know them and just interacting with them and and the biggest thing growing up up until that point was they just wanted to be heard they just wanted to be seen as as anybody else and so taking that understanding and and being around that because again didn't really understand what was going on with christian until 15 so we treated him as anybody else it was just okay sometimes he gets mad you know (laughs) just (laughs) trying to trying to differentiate those things so um i think that just being around them growing up aided in being able to, to transition whenever we're actually working with them. Um, and, but the same basis is there constantly. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be uh, treated just as anybody else. And whenever we're working with them, the biggest thing was whenever parents would come to us and they would come to us and say, why are you different? Why are you unique? And I think just being a sibling aided into that story. But it was them understanding I wasn't there just to have their and their child inside of our program but to actually make a difference and and change that and so i think being heard being understood was a big thing for them um we do have a very wide range of disabilities in there but the the focus for them being there is all the same and so whenever we take that in consideration yes you can add training but if you don't have that premise of actually understanding the individual actually wanting to help them that hinders you from actually making a difference. It's funny, it's taken me a little bit as an adult to grasp a hold of, I've always said, oh, well, my my brother has inspired me to do what I've done, being a special education teacher and now being a service provider and, and doing the things that I've done. And that is true. Um, but what I've learned is that it wasn't because I wanted to, to help those. Um, it, it was an afterthought, meaning um, I was bound and determined to teach people how to interact and how to um, be a teacher. I wanted a model for those that weren't around those with disabilities. I wanted to be break down a barrier and feel comfortable enough to say like, well, this is what my brother always want. Like he just, just have a conversation, like stop making it bigger than what it is. Or, and so I think that that's really a, of the reason as to I wanted to, I saw how m- so many people growing up, and I don't know if y'all can relate, so many growing up didn't know how to start that conversation or or didn't see that he wanted the same things in life that we all want in life. And so, yes, and in, in being the teacher to everybody to in a community of how to do that would naturally impact my brother and people like my brother. So, um I didn't have the experience that you all are sharing. Like growing up, I, I remember going to Special Olympics and going to my brother's therapy, but um, 
it wasn't that like I was exposed a lot to um, other individuals with disabilities. I wish I was. I don't know that that would have changed anything. But my driving force was I wanted to be the trailblazer that taught everybody else how to do something um, to connect with those with disabilities. So yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that that was always something for me that was difficult growing up seeing um, other individuals with disabilities like in Blake's class and stuff that people were not giving them opportunities and not really teaching them because they had a disability, you know, and it, it was like, but they're, they're capable of so much. You just have to push them, you know, and they're, they've got a lot in there. You've got to get it out of them. And so that was, I always wanted to be the one that could help push that because I did that with my brother. You know, I was the one that I could really communicate with Blake. So Blake can't talk, but and my parents and my and my grandparents sometimes they couldn't really get it out of him because they would get frustrated or just you know be like oh it's okay whereas I was like no I'm bound to determine to see what he wants and mm-hmm. communicate you know so look this way if you want this look this way if you want that you know and then using that communication advice and still to this day I get frustrated because I'm like if we would have pushed him harder when he was younger you know and set that expectation of driving your wheelchair and using your communication communication device that would help them so that's why that's a big thing why I do what I do right now is because I'm wanting to start that when they're younger or even whenever we get them and be consistent so that they're successful in life you know as independent as they possibly can be well and that leads into the next question I want both of you all to answer if what you know now all right so think about what you know now what would you have told your as a sibling like what would you told told yourself maybe preteen like I feel like middle going into middle school might have been like the toughest um years for me but what would you have told your yourself then what you know now not to take things so personally probably um about my brother and like when people didn't maybe understand you know and I instead of using that and really being a teachable moment to them sometimes I would get frustrated and take it personally you know um and I wish I could change that now how I am now. Like, I wish I used to would have done that more. Oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, good. All right, Chris, you're up next. <laughs> oh, man, I hope I get a gold star for this, yeah. too. <clears throat> um, I, I think the biggest thing is if I could go back and, and understand what I know now, just being able to give more attention to it. Um, you know, at the time, it was it was focused on school, was focused on things, and you know, it was, you know, it's your little brother. And again, not thinking anything different about him. It's just your little brother, you defend him, you take care of him, you do whatever you need to. Um, I think it would be just more attention to development of who he is as a person. I think there's a lot of things that happened uh, during that transition time where he was in the group home that we're still trying to rectify. And I think that if, if we would have had the knowledge and understanding to be able to do that, he would be in a different place uh, than he is now. Um, it's a lot of retraining, especially it was so, f- it was in those formidable years of time when he had, he had no direction, nobody there besides a caregiver mm-hmm. or the other individuals that were in the home to help guide him during that time. And so um, I, w- I wish I, I could have been there for that and to, and to go back and change that. You know, as I was asking you all that, I I don't really know what I would say to myself, but in kind of hearing you all, I think what I would, if I could go back and tell myself something differently, I think I advocated in a, like I was so defensive Mm -hmm. um, because I wasn't, uh, 
I almost let too much of my emotions, and which we'll talk about in later episodes, but I almost let too much of my emotions um, be always expecting people are expecting us in a certain way and, or expecting my brother to fail or, or not so much that, but like almost helping enabling him along. Like I wish that if I would have known the strategies that I know now and what I'm able to provide opportunities and push people to all kinds of, um, you know, limitless opportunities and success and possibilities. I wish I would have done that, known that back then of pushing harder um, through not focusing so much on what other people thought, but like staying inward, I guess, and, and pushing him and not enabling him and being like, oh, well, it'll come whenever he gets it or like, we'll just wait till he he's ready. And I, I agree with that. But I also I think that in the begin in the early stages, that's when you have to like really not be more proactive and not like reactive. And so I wish that I would have the tools now back then to be able to not enable some of that to where it's okay because it's cute or it's okay. It's, it's just Nick, you know, like that's funny. Like I could always say I can write a, uh, a one hell of a book that mm-hmm. would be hilarious stories <laughs> um that would be a guide to how to and i think so many families are in survival mode and i see that now with families that we work with that i wish that i could like snap a finger and be like oh if you just could not get out of that survival mode for just one minute and really try to be proactive and being in tune in the present and not be so much focused and on the outside world and what they're going to do when they're 22, just focus right now of the milestones that you need to hit right now. Okay, so we don't have a lot of time, um, but what I wanted to ta- kind of for the listeners to take away too is what do you what do you all think that are, are your biggest fears um, now that our siblings are older? Um, I always say like you go through seasons of life when you have um, – well, that's with anybody, disability or not, they're seasons of life, right? And so we're in a season of life that there might be a listener that has young children um, or, or the other children, you know, that don't have disabilities. What, as an adult, now that our, we've kind of conquered a lot of the seasons of life of uncertainty or un- like don't know what to expect or whatever, what do you say now are the fears of in this season as they are adults? What are your fears? Well, I think I have two, so I'm going to have to tell you two. Okay. 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 But the, the number one fear for me, for Blake, is, you know, he lives in a residential home um, and he has great care right now but my fear is is that always going to be is he going to have that great care um and i mean we're we're a very um, tight family unit so we're always going to check in and make sure that's happening but if it's not what are we going to do what's he going to have you know um because that is that residential facility is huge for him and my parents you know um they've been able to actually live some of their life and having someone else be able to take care of him but you know, if that care goes down, what's going to happen? You know, so just making sure that he is well taken care of. And we have high expectations, but rightfully so, you know, like anybody. As you should. Anybody should. So that's my number one fear, just the future, what the future holds for him care-wise and making sure that he is still getting the quality care that he deserves. Um, the second one is his um, healthy healthiness. You know, as he's gotten older, he is getting sick more often and it's harder for him to recover. 
So I don't want him to suffer any more than he already has had to go through his whole life. Right. So that's the second fear. Okay. Sorry, that was heavy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start with you next time, Chris. It's, it's fine. Um, my biggest fear for Christian is uh, purpose. Um, I spent about an hour last night, which which is a you said fifteen texts and two calls. I think I win uh, <laughs> on a daily basis. Um, but it but it's purpose. Um, last night, whenever I caught, he had a behavior. You know, it's twenty degrees in Ohio, and he's walking down the gas station, which is half a mile down the road. Locks himself into the bathroom and calls me, and I'm like, Bob, what are you what are you doing? You know, it's it's freezing. I'm just frustrated. You know, I, I, I don't want to live here anymore. I want this. I want that. And, you know, at 29, and, and I'm not trying to talk about what we're going to talk about next, <laughs> but, you know, he, he sees what I do and he wants to emulate. And mm-hmm. it's he can't do all those things right now. And there's certain things that he has to do, like, Bub, you got to go to work to buy a house. <laughs> you know, it doesn't just it just doesn't happen. And so he wants all these things and he's frustrated because he can't accomplish them. And I think that's my biggest fear is that he's going to be searching for this thing his whole entire life is not able to accomplish that. It doesn't matter what tools are there. It, it doesn't matter how much we help with that. Is, is that actually going to happen for him? Because in, 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 in reality, you know, I watched him a lot growing up as far as, you know, I took care of him, you know, babysat, mm-hmm. uh, cooked for him, cleaned for him, took him around whenever I got my car, drove him around everywhere. So, you know, more more than not, I look at to him as not just my brother, but also somebody that I want to be successful as, as one would with a kid. I don't have a child, but I think that's the closest I am to that right now. And I want him to be successful. I want him to have everything that he's ever wished for and wanted. How... Is, is that really going to happen? And like you said, you know, pointing towards the future and, and not trying to punt the ball down that way, but how can I help that now? And, and can I make that a reality and help him make that a reality? That's that's my biggest fear. Well, and I think that what you just uh, touched on and, and hopefully the reader, I always say reader because we have a blog, <laughs> um, piecesofme.org. You can go on and read these blogs. But for the listener, I think, notice that all of our brothers are in different living situations and um, different um, they're on that spectrum in a different way and so that's how come our fears can look a little bit different but very cross similar similar so um, my fear so unlike you all my brother still lives at home um, with my my parents and my parents don't want that to be any different than that and um, I think that that even though I'm a provider of those with staff residency homes and, and group homes, and I understand what that looks like and the benefits to that, um, I think that that's something that we've come to terms with. I know my fear is the day that something happens to my mom and my dad um, in that transition, not the fear that obviously that will it'll crush both of us, but uh, I fear that depending on when that happens and how that happens, um, I'm going to try not to be so that I won't be able to um, help him transition past it um, because it'll be a significant loss. So I'm sorry, I did not mean to cry, (laughs) Um, but that that weighs heavy. and, and, And really, that's why my career is based on what I've done is because of that ultimate fear of the unknown of what that's going to happen. And I don't think, I think if you're a parent right now or a sibling and your sibling's young, 
that fear of the unknown will never go away, right? You have a fear of the unknown of the purpose. I have the fear of the unknown of what that transition of that life's going to look like for him. And the fear of the unknown of will that care go away or be of quality as it needs to be. And and I don't think it just as the seasons of life change, that fear just goes into something else mm-hmm. and transitions into something else. Um, so, yeah, I, Wow. Heavy, 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 but real, but real. And that was the point of the podcast is, is really being able to never had these conversations with other siblings. And it's not a conversation I want to have with my mom and my dad either. And probably my mom and my dad will not listen to this podcast, but because we just don't have these conversations, um, because it's scary. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, I think it's important for us to talk. And that was the whole purpose of the podcast was so that way, if you don't know how to talk to your sibling or your child that is the other sibling, maybe this can be that uh, opener of like, how do you start that conversation? And how do we talk about our fears? Because I never talked about my fears with my parents. Um, I don't know. And you have a different experience because you do. (laughs) Y'all talk about that. We talk about everything. Um, so any last minute, we need to kind of wrap up, but um, any last minute thoughts of the journey or of the season that you want to make sure that the listeners are walking away with today? I would say that just for people to be encouraged that there are people out there that feel what you feel or understand how you feel, and they've gone through it so you can too. You're not alone. And uh find the right resources. Yes, there are a lot of technical things. There's a lot of medical things, but there's not that tangible conversation piece. So resources like this, the Pieces of Me podcast, um, it's essential for people to hear that and to find those pieces for that encouragement um, and for other people to to share their stories as well. And speaking of Pieces of Me podcast, um, you actually have a podcast that you've done with individuals with disabilities. Is that correct? We we are working on it. And so we've done the questionnaires and everything that we've we asked them, okay, so if we were to tell your story, if we were to share who you are, what would you want to share? So we didn't really give an outline. We asked them, what would you want to put? And we kind of yeah. sculpted that in there. So we've started that um, that process, and we have all the equipment to be able to record. So Perfect. making Coming that happen. Soon. Well, we'll Coming connect soon. with you whenever that happens, for Absolutely. sure. Any last-minute tidbits? Um, I think just kind of piggyback off what you said just a minute ago, Amanda, you know, about the fears of the unknown. But, you know, there's no script for this life, for any of us. I mean, we all we all have share something in common, but, you know, we're all so different, too. And just like what Chris said, too, there are resources out there. There's people out there. It's finding them. I think it's funny that, I mean, we really just found each other at, what, 30s? <laughs> 20, late 20s? I like 30s. being in the 30s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anyway, it's you can't control everything, but trying to reach out to people, and it's easier when you have a group of people that you can rely on. So try to get out there and and seek those resources and you know like i said there's no script for it so just you know try to do what's best awesome well there's more to come for blair chris and i um as we relate to our listeners about being a sibling of that um uh, 
of our siblings have disabilities. And so um, there's a lot of things of speaking of resources, there's actually a national sibling network um, that is on Facebook that we're actually part of. And um, usually most um, states have chapters. So we have one in Kentucky. I'm sure there's uh, there's a huge actually, mm-hmm. like even a sib shop and things um, that Ohio is really doing um, really well um, actually there. Um, we're trying to do that here in Kentucky. Um, I know um, at, there's Westcon Sibs um, in Wisconsin. I actually went there and flew there and spoke at one of their um, organizations that actually have camps for siblings. And so, like, I think that I wanted to start the conversation that find those people to connect with. And it's not so scary when you're when you know you're doing it with someone else. So it's important. So if you like today's podcast, uh, make sure that you go on and subscribe at anchor.fm or any of your um, other platforms for podcasting. And also at piecesofme.org, there will be a free download that you can go on and subscribe to from today's podcast of um, of fighting some of those seasons of life and understanding how to get through those and some of the things that we shared as tidbits today. Um, so make sure you do that. And again, we share a lot. There's a lot that I'm going to be doing with Chris in the near future um, of some of his things through Open Arms and other um, avenues that he takes. And obviously Blair and I are embarking on building a new Owen Autism Center here in Owensboro, Kentucky. And so um, we'll share a lot of those journeys and the collaboration that we do on my Instagram page, which is Pieces of Me um, by Amanda, and then on Facebook at Pieces of Me as well. So like, share, connect, collaborate. We're all out there. We're all doing life together. So thanks for listening. Bye. See ya.